evening, everyone, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight I'm very excited to share a couple of really great and special guests with you. First up is going to be the great Bobby Nichols. You remember Mr. Nichols. He won the 1964 PGA Championship, 12 tournaments, and all out on the regular tour. This is going to be the third time I've had the privilege of spending some time with Mr. Nichols. And and tonight we're going to go back where we live some of his memories from winning that 64 PGA at Columbus Country Club in Columbus, Ohio. He won that championship going wire to wire, you know, getting kickstarted by a fantastic opening round of 64, becoming the first person to ever shoot a 64 in the PGA Championship. Outdual Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, and Ben Hogan to win that golf tournament. We'll talk about all of that, plus his win at the 1962 St. Petersburg Open, the 1973 Westchester Classic, as well as being a part of the 1967 Ryder Cup team. So a lot to get into when Mr. Nichols joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a, a visit from PGA and class and uh, LPGA Class A teaching professional Rhonda Ferguson. Rhonda played her college golf at the University of Florida, so we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the work she's doing today teaching junior players. I want to you know, get to see how she goes about you know, keeping junior players engaged, you know, practicing and playing instead of being at home playing on video games. We'll get her technique for that. Rhonda also owns a golf course in Jacksonville, Florida called River Bend Golf Links. So we'll hear how she became a golf course owner, her unique marketing approach, oh, by the way, and a whole lot more when she joins me about 25 minutes from now. So, folks, more great stories coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. And as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondanero about the great things they have going up there this winter. When planning your next golf buddy trip, consider something completely different for 2018 at French Lick Resort. The Eagles, Birdies, and Pigeons Package. That's right, Pigeons. Take your best shot with a day at our Pete Dye course, a day at our Donald Ross course, then top it off with an outing at our new sporting clay shooting range. This package is reserved for groups of 12 or more. Just you and a pal craving a world-class golf getaway? Well, our Hall of Fame package can't be beat for a pure golf experience and value. Pete Dye, Donald Ross, and our two historic hotels make a legendary combination. French Lick Resort can also help you bring your game to the next level. Check out our Early Birdies Tune-Up, our Game Changer, and Rapid Recovery Golf Academies. Start making those 2018 plans now with an online visit to FrenchLick.com. French Lick Resort, home of the 2018 Senior LPGA Championship and the Symmetra Tour Donald Ross Classic. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great it is and to book your stay as well. And folks, have you heard me talking about Clubhub sensors over the last few months? If you haven't, listen up and get ready to discover the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Club Hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the Club Hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all of the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. 
No, no other GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones. The app keeps track of your swing speed of every club again in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing. No other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Clubhub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT, that's N-E-X-T, to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, go to clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. We are also excited to be partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. They are back with the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markup that you hate. Now you can buy premium Ben Hogan irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags directly from the factory at a price your wallet's going to appreciate. Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com or give them a call at 844-53-HOGAN. That's 844-534-6426 to learn more and order your set today. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. The early spring collection has arrived. The shift in seasons is an opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They've added some great details, fresh colors, new additions with genuine enduring character. See the early spring collection by going online to bobbyjones.com. And folks, as you know, we have been partnering with Russ Holden and the great folks over at Caddy for a Cure. And one of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It is a fantastic way to have the time of your life while you're supporting our wounded service members and Fanconia anemia. You're going to get to walk side by side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience and the fan, you know, fantastic gifts you're going to get, is unbelievable. Caddy for a Cure is going to give you Under Armour logo apparel, an eyewear package, a tour-grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a 10-cup ball marking gift, chef's cut real jerky, plus professional photographs from your day. Go online to caddyforacure.com to learn more. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mr. Bobby Nichols. Let me give you some more background on Mr. Nichols. He is from Louisville, Kentucky, played his college golf at Texas A&M, where he won the Southwest Conference Individual Championship in 1952. He was a Southwest Conference medalist in 1956 and team co-captain in 1958. He joined the PGA Tour in 1960. He won 12 times on the regular tour, including the 1964 PGA Championship, won three more times out on the Champions Tour. In 2014, he was honored as a hometown champion by the city of Louisville when Valhalla hosted the PGA Championship that year. And I am both honored and privileged to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Nichols. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for the invite. So, Mr. Nichols, for those who haven't joined us the past couple of times you've been on the show, you started out caddying at age nine. And I recently had the, had the privilege of having Caddy Hall of Famer Dennis Cohn join me here on the show, and he is working on a program to get caddies back in golf courses around the country. So caddy programs going in different courses all across the country, which to me is a great way to introduce more young players in the game. How important was it for you when you started caddying? How much did that develop your love for the game of golf? It did everything, really, Chris. I started caddying when I was nine years old. It was 1945, 
and I carried there until 1950 at Audubon Country Club there in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, back then, the celebrities were, I got this caddy for uh, Pee Wee Reese. I was his personal caddy when he came home from the season with the Brooklyn Dodgers. <clears throat> and uh, he was quite a golfer. And I, all those years of caddy, and it really taught you how to swing the golf club just by just by watching and being around and know what to do at a golf course and learn the mannerisms and the things and do's and don'ts of, of, a, of a playing the golf and things. It was really, it was special. You just, you just don't, you just don't, it's hard to teach that. You have to learn it by being actually in, involved. So for kids, you know, to get more more junior golfers interested in the game and to, you know, really kind of, you know, get them there and keep them there. Was that was being a caddy and being around the game of golf was was, was that the thing that kind of sucked you in and said you know what I want to be a part of this game for life? Absolutely. Plus, it's uh, you know it's just a great uh, atmosphere to be around and and you're around guys that got other caddies that they're working for the same as you are and it's just a, a great uh, relationship that you have. And normally at a golf club, you're it's almost like a you have a, a the members are going to look out for the caddies and take care of them and, and very rarely do they ever get into trouble on a golf course. So it's just a it's almost like a built-in babysitter for the family where you can stay there all day long in the caddy and and just hang around the golf and it's just a lot of fun just to be associated with something like that. I, I love it. How much did it impact you when you later on when you you know became a pro and you were out playing on tour for things like you know knowing how to read a green, knowing knowing distances and yardages and things of that nature? How much did the caddy piece you know help you learn all of those things and maybe give you a leg up when you went out and out on tour? Well, I think just being around it and watching it and looking at it and watching other players and, other, and people that you're caddying for and playing with different individuals, that's how you learn. And I I didn't have too many lessons at early age, and I, I'm not like, or rather I am like most every, every other player my age. We learn by just by being around the, the players, the good players and the medium players or whatever. And just being able to watch and learn from that respect. And also when you're caddying there, people are reading greens and learning. You're learning how to do that and so forth. It was a, it was a great education. There's no other way you could teach it other than actually being involved. And, and speaking of your swing, how did you develop that? Who, who, who did you learn it from? Who did, who did you emulate? Were there somebody or some, you know, somebody that influenced you in developing your golf swing? I think when I first uh, played as an amateur, you just kind of, I looked at a couple or, or, or more than a couple people that I wanted to swing like, and it just came pretty much uh, natural, you might say it. And then when I got on the tour, I played a lot of golf with Dr. Millicall for the early 60s and Mr. Hogan and a few others. And But my swing was pretty well fixed by then. I guess you could say a few tweaks here and there. But, uh, you know, when you, once you get on the tour, I don't think you change your swing any. You might change a few things that might do you some good, like your, maybe your grip or the the, uh, stance and a few things, but nothing major. It's pretty well about your uh, natural ability that you've developed all through the years of playing uh, amateur golf and uh, and the things that you learn naturally. And then you just pick up 
a few of the thinking uh, items that uh, all the players that played the tour and, and the people that you idolized growing up and watching, and that's how you learn. Just what about most of the time, just by watching and, and listening to what they have to tell you. Back in those days, all the players, uh, the premier players, were very cordial and trying to help each and every one of you when you were starting the tour. It was really a neat situation, and I, I, I now it was a really, not really special for me and all the other guys that started to do to be on the tour and have the people that we idolized and watched all our years as an amateur and watch them and being able to be with them and they're and they're willing to help your help your game in any way, shape or form. Mr. Nichols, you are you are a powerful golfer. I read a comparison that said back in the day you were you were John Daly long at that time. How far were you driving the golf ball back in the in your prime? I think Jack was probably the longest, uh, the, the probably certainly the most accurate, you might say, as, a, as an average. And uh, there were a few of us. There were about a handful that could hit it. But today's, uh, it, it's quite a bit different. I, I'm laughing because I, to be compared to the hitters today is it, it's no comparison. Because I think our longest hitters was anywhere from 275 to 280. And uh, most of the lady golfers hit it that far today. So it, it's amazing how much better and how much further the players are hitting it today. It's just incredible. It's just almost mind-boggling to see how far they really can hit it. And I watch them all, and it's just, uh, it never ceases to amaze me. Mr. Nichols, I want to, you know, go go back to your wire-to-wire win at the 64 PGA Championship at uh, Columbus Country Club there in Columbus, Ohio. And you opened with a round of 64, like I mentioned in your intro. The first time anyone had ever shot 64 in a PGA championship and in fact your 271 total was a record that stood for 30 years take us back there what what got you off to such a hot start well I don't really know I was playing with Gardner Dickinson who uh, playing the practice round he and Mr. Hogan and I wasn't too and doing too well I was not hitting the ball at all but I was listening to what they had to tell me and I was trying to do a few things they were saying they weren't really trying to change your swing. I was just trying to listen to what they had to say. And, and I don't know, it just all kind of clicked the next day when I started making putts. I think it's it's true almost any time you're playing in a golf tournament. If the putts start falling, uh, your swing and everything else starts getting more uh, better. And everything kind of falls into place. And, and you just uh, that's how you shoot the lower rounds, which it would be nice if you could – keep that attitude and that feeling all through every tournament, but that's uh, it's hard to do. But there's a lot of great players out there that, that are getting close to doing that. And, Mr. Nichols, you, you took a one-stroke lead over Arnold Palmer going into the final round in, in 1964. It was right there in the prime of his career. You had Jack Nicholas and Mr. Hogan tied for fifth, so a lot of big names right there at the top of that leaderboard. Did, were you feeling the pressure of those guys going into that final round? What was it like sleeping on the lead, knowing you had those guys right behind you? Well, I think it's uh, you learn that from experience by playing and getting yourself in that position. And the only thing I can tell you is that the only way to learn is to, to put yourself in that position, and you just kind of go from there, and you learn. And, and uh, first thing you know, uh, things start clicking for you. But uh, as far as trying to teach somebody what to do in a situation like that, you almost have to, like I say, do it, get in a position to, to do it yourself. Got to have the experience. And, and So how did the press treat you going into that final round? Were they all about you, or were they more focused on those other three guys? How did they treat you? 
Well, I, I, I don't. I didn't really look at the papers. I tell you the truth, during that fourth, before they uh, during the tournament, because I was focused on what I was trying to do. It's pretty obvious that the, that the press, uh, you know, with Jack and Arnold and Mr. Hogan, who he was, uh, or, or the time, and so they were all they were probably uh, more focused on them as far as trying to say something about them and whatever, but. Uh, they were very kind to me. I was very, they were very good to me. I had no problem at all with the press. They were, uh, very, very supportive. And, uh, I have no complaints at all. How about the galleries? I imagine you're trying to win your first major and you're practically doing it or attempting to do it in Jack Nicholas's backyard in Columbus, Ohio. What what were the galleries like? And, uh, how did you feel about walking around in that last round? Well, Actually, I'm being in Columbus and being born and raised in Louisville, which was a couple hundred miles south. Uh, there was a lot of people that I knew was in the gallery. And also uh, with Mr. Hogan there and Jack and Arnold, you got all the names of everyone uh, connected with the, the super players. So everybody came out to watch the tournament. It was enormous crowds. It was the biggest crowd, I believe, <laughs> the PGA has ever had up until that time. And I think Jack was talking to a group a little after that, but maybe uh, six months or so, a year or so, and, and he got the idea to build Muirfield there in Columbus. He said what gave him the idea was after he played, uh, watched the tremendous crowds at the Columbus Country Club, he says, this town needs another tournament, I mean another golf course, because the crowds were just enormous. So uh, that was a big plus, and like I say, the crowds were wonderful, and they were very good to, to everybody. And Mr. Nichols, you've mentioned some of the great players that you've had a chance to play alongside of, you know, Hogan and Nicholas oh, wow. and, and Palmer and yeah. Dr. Middlecoff and Snead and all of those guys. Who who are some of the guys that you really enjoyed playing practice rounds with, or really just hanging out after, you know, after the round or after a tournament? Oh, there's we. Uh, I like I say I played with Mr. Hogan about a dozen times and different and uh, won a couple of tournaments with him. And uh, besides '64, won the World Open with him at Oakland Hills. But uh, uh, we also got to play with guys like Tommy Boat and Jackie Burke and Jimmy DeMarit. I mean, I, I could just go on forever. The people were very. I mean, the players were very receptive and taking us. Let us join them. Sam Snead, he, any of them. Uh, but I always try to get in their way when they get ready to play to make sure they saw me. And they can either say, get out of the way or come on and join us, that sort of thing. I kind of made myself available with a lot of different ones. And I think a lot of players did that because you can learn something from them. Sometimes it may cost you a little money, but what the heck. <laughs> you won the uh... – 1962 St. Petersburg Open, playing with Dr. Kerry Middlecoff, and I and I read that you credited him with helping you out a great deal over the course of your career. What role did he play with you? Well, he he just uh, he kind of took a liking to me. Every time I went to the Masters, he'd always play with me and, and teach me where or tell me where to hit the drives and hit the shots and things like that. And, and uh, he was extremely helpful. He he was just. Uh, you know, he, he was such a great player. I admired watching him in the 50s when I thought he was the, him and Sam were two of the longest hitters in the game. I thought 
Doc Milikoff from 54, 5, and 6 was probably the longest and straightest of any of any player out there on the PGA Tour. And like I say, he took a lot. I don't know where I took a liking to him. I just kind of got in his way, and he finally got tired of it and said, come on, play. And I joined him and played with him, and, and uh, it was just fun. Tommy Bolt was the same way. I mean, those guys were just tremendous. Uh, we, uh, I think that it doesn't, I guess, well, today's, today's players are so daggone many of them. Uh, they don't have that kind of a report that they, almost any player on the tour now you can name 30 or 40 of them could win any week out there on the tour they're so good there's so many of them and the money's so good so you got so many more players trying to play the game and, and there's a lot uh, you got tournaments going you and the city don't play the regular tour you got mini tours and all kinds of things that you can participate compete against to pre compete in and everything so it's been wonderful golf golf's been tremendous and Mr. Nichols, you played in the 1967 Ryder Cup matches at Champions Golf Club in Houston. Right. Were, were the Ryder Cup matches back then like we see them today? It's, it, today it seems like it's it's a you know it, it's a very intense match. It seems very stressful for the players. Was it that way back in in '67? Was or was it more of an exhibition like the you know the uh, the I think the original idea of the Ryder Cup was supposed to be about? Well, the press has probably taken it to another level here this, in this day and time. And back then, it was kind of a special because you're playing for your country. So I put more uh, pressure on it as an individual when you're playing the Ryder Cup. Not only you, you want to win, but you have that feeling of you're playing for your country, which is really, really special. And our captain was Mr. Hogan, so that made it even more special. And, and uh, any time you play in the Ryder Cup, you had that feeling that you got to you're playing for your country, and you want to do you want to do as good as you can. And you and Johnny Potts were paired together, and you won all right. of your matches. Plus, you earned a point and a half in your singles matches as well. That's a that's a heck of a rookie Ryder Cup uh, debut. Yeah, we won by the biggest margin ever back in that day, '67. And I think a lot of we can credit to Mr. Hogan by he was such a tremendous asset. And this, just having him leading us, kind of, you might say, and he, he paired us and he would ask us what, who we wanted to play with. And he was very accommodating. He didn't try to change us or try to say, well, so and so you this way. You, if he said, if, so with Johnny and I, we had played a lot of golf together because we were both about the same age. And, uh, so uh, it was just a, a perfect marriage. And we uh, got along well. We played good together. So he said, you guys can play together. And that's why he pretty well let everybody play. He let the guys themselves choose. And then if he didn't really, uh, he didn't, dis- I don't know if he disagrees. I don't know. I didn't hear every every pairing. But I, I, I would think he let most of the guys play with whomever they felt the best with. And that's the only way you do it today, too. But you have a few other things that, that take consideration. You won the 1973 uh, Westchester Classic. And when I was looking over, you know, that that tournament results, you saw 16 under par for the tournament. And Westchester was a big stop on the tour at the time. Westchester Country Club had a lot of celebrity members back in the day. What do you remember about winning that golf tournament? That was great because I played with Mr. Hogan practice round there. That was really something out uh, stuck with them. But prior to the Westchester, they had a tournament in 1970. The Westchester was 1973. In 1970, they had a tournament called the Dow Jones in Upper Montclair in New Jersey. It was the first $300,000 tournament. 
on the tour. And uh, I was forced enough to win that. But uh, then I get this letter, and it's from Augusta and Bobby Jones. And inside the letter, it had a clipping. It, is, it had a picture of me winning, but it also at the byline says, Bobby Jones wins Dow Jones. So <laughs> I get this letter from Mr. Jones. He said, Dear Bobby, sorry about the misidentification, but you received a check. Continued success, Bobby Jones. And he signed it as 1970. And uh, that was quite special to have something like that. That came out of the blue. I mean, who did you know, get a, a letter like that from the one of the best ever. No um, Yeah. You West played on the uh, Champions Tour for several years, starting uh -huh. back in 1986, and actually won more money on that tour than you did on the regular tour. That's, that's, what was that's what, right. what did it mean for you to be able to have like a second life when the when the senior tour started out? Well, we all were very, we all were very fortunate, and we we couldn't believe what we were seeing, and we just couldn't wait to get out there and play. And we we played pro ams and tournaments on the senior tour, and like you say, we played for more money, way more money than we ever did on the regular tour. So it was it was a, like a bogey, I guess you call it. And uh, <laughs> we were fortunate we got a little extra. But anyway, it was. Uh, it was quite nice. It really was. And we, we got to be back the old guys, too. They came out and played, like Julius Poros, Art Wall, Dave Roberto, Davidson, so we had Bobby Bobtowski, uh, Terry Milkoff, of course. All of them played, and it was kind of a, a re reunion, and we, it was, we were lucky to be part of it, so we were, we were in awe. 1989, you win the Southwestern Bell Classic. The win came 15 years after the last time that you had won on the regular tour. What did it feel like for you to get back in the winner's circle? It was fun. It, it, uh, uh, you know, like I say, we we're both just playing for the fun and had a camaraderie and be with guys on the tour. We got and have a lot of fun. It really wasn't a lot to play for, but it was more than we had played for in the past. So it was, it was nice. And, uh, but we we all had a lot of fun. We as we get through playing golf, we didn't go out and hit golf balls or practice or that sort of thing. We usually stick around the golf shop and uh, have a few beers and we listen to our friend Gay Brewer tell jokes and things that we all got together had a big time and laughter. And we did the same thing with the members, so they they really enjoyed us and uh, we enjoyed them. And the, the tour kind of well. It is today. It's tremendous. It's really done well. So it it was, uh, but it started off kind of slow, but with uh, Sam and Julius and Doc Milkoff and Tommy Boat and Art Wall and Roberto and Gabriel and all of them. They just they played Bob Goby and they all played. So it made the tour uh, what it is today. Mr. Nichols, just a couple more before we let you go and. You were recognized as a hometown hero when the PGA Championship was played at Valhalla back in, in 2014. What was it like being honored that way by uh, the people of Louisville? It was quite special and, and very unexpected. I didn't have any idea that was, was happening. And when it did happen, I was totally surprised. And like I say, honored and, and uh, you know, I, being growing up there and then have the National PGA to be played there was even more so special. And, the town uh, has really gotten into golf and, and the golf tournaments. And, of course, with Justin Thomas being from there, he's 
he's a new king, and though I would say the way he's playing, the way he's going to be playing from now on, he's, he's a tremendous player. He really is. He's uh, definitely one of the best, and, and uh, it looks like he's got a golf swing that lasts forever. And uh, very proud of him, and it's, it's nice to see it. And the uh, well, all, everything about the PGA, and of all things, his first major was the PGA, and he won in Quail uh, Hollow in Charlotte this past year. And so uh, that was quite a quite a quite a nice thing. Happy for him. You have a golf course named in your honor there, right? What's yeah. what's what's your involvement with the Bobby Nichols Golf Course? Well, I don't have any involvement with it. I was done by the, the city of Louisville back when I won the uh, PGA of 64, and they put my name on it, but I don't have any connection with it other than it's run by the city and owned by the city. And it's, uh, but it, it's, uh, it's pretty accurate. I mean, it's pretty, uh, fairly nice. I go by there. I've been around three or four different times, and uh, I haven't played, but played there lately, but... Uh, it's nice. It's a nice honor. So that begs the question: How's your golf game? I don't have one. <laughs> I know I'm. <laughs> my legs are giving out on me. I'm just. Uh, I'd rather watch than try to play. It's just. Uh, I got a body that's been hammered pretty good throughout the years, from time to time, and and uh, you know I think we all. I don't know if you do, Chris, but get arthritis gets sets in. It's uh, pretty hard to play. It's it's. Uh, I remember watching Sam play, uh, hitting the balls off the first tee during the Masters, and how his swing got shorter and shorter, and he could barely swing. I said, "My goodness, the uh, one of the best swingers of all time." I thought, "Well, I guess I have to look forward to that." I hope. Well, on the other hand, it's better than the alternative. That's for sure. So. Anyways, I don't buy. I don't. Uh, I don't uh, feel like playing a whole lot. Really, it's just uh, I go out and watch. Watch. I'd, I'd rather watch people play. Well, Mr. Nichols, it has been okay. an incredible honor having you back on the show. I hope you'll continue to come back from time to time, share more of your stories and memories with us, because uh, it's always such an honor and a delight to have you as part of the show. All you have to do is ask me, Chris. I'll be back. Thank you. I appreciate it very much, Mr. Nichols. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you next time. Okay. Thank you. Take care. That is the great Bobby Nichols, again, won the 1964 PGA Championship 12 times out on the regular tour, another three more times on the Champions Tour, and uh, just an incredible gentleman. I can't wait to have him back on the show again. Hopefully, I get that opportunity again real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Rhonda Ferguson, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors. First, I want to remind you about our friends over at SyncIt.com. You know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the Tee and have a positive approach both in life and out on the golf course. Well, we're excited to be partnering with the folks at SyncIt.com. Keep putting that positive thought of sinking the putt in your mind with their great line of t-shirts and hats. To win any golf tournament, you got to sink that final putt, right? We wake up every day. To finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, and get better each and every day. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check them out online at sinkit.com. 
And folks, you've heard me talking about Clubhub sensors over the last few months. If you haven't, for crying out loud, listen up and get ready to discover the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device that's out there on the market. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub is going to tell you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the device, with the only device of its kind that you can take on the course with you. I have club up sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, folks, since I put the club up sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the last 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole of the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones. The app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus a 3D view of your swing as well. And no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com to order your set of Clubhub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT. That's N-E-X-T to get 10% off on all the products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code next, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Power Bar. Energy and focus on the course is essential, whether you're playing you know, out on tour, in your club championship, or just the weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar, the golfer's nutritional bar, can help you with both of those things. Again, energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest, you know, every three holes or so until it's finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online to parbargolf.com. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGASuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Rhonda Ferguson. Let me give you some background on Rhonda. She is from Tampa, Florida. Played her college golf at the University of Florida, where she also earned her B.A. in English. She is a PGA and LPGA Class A teaching professional. She's been the Director of Sales, Marketing, and Membership at the Country Club of Orange Park down in Orange Park, Florida. She's been a teaching professional at San Jose Country Club in Jacksonville. She is currently a Tournament Director for the Northern Florida Girls Golf as well as being the owner and general manager of Riverbend Golf Links in Jacksonville. And here are just you know some of the awards that Rhonda has won or been recognized for recently. She won the 2017 North Florida PGA Northern Chapter Player Development Award. She was the 2017 Honorable Mention for U.S. Kids Top 50 National Instructor. She received the 2016 North Florida PGA Northern Chapter and North Florida Section Youth Player Development Award. And she was a 2013 PGA Junior League Captain of the Year finalist. And I am honored that she is here with me tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rhonda, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. So, uh, Rhonda, I want to start by going all the way back to the beginning with you. As, as a kid growing up in Tampa, when did you first start playing golf? And who was the first person to put a golf club in your hands? Well, it's kind of um, interesting that you asked that question because I did not start playing until I was a freshman in high school. 
And wow. the person that, yeah, I, I played, started playing at 15, and I ended up playing at Florida four years later. And we had just won the national championships back-to-back a few years before that. So I was very fortunate to play. And um, Roger Maris's son, Kevin Maris, was the one that uh, taught me to play at Downing Gainesville. Really? It really. So I used to play wow. golf with um, Roger before he got sick. So, yeah, Kevin's uh, – still a friend to this day and I you know owe everything to him for for teaching me the game so that that's an amazing story on many levels but you know just to think that you didn't pick up a golf club until you're 15 and four years later you're playing on a national championship level golf team uh, you know a natural obviously right you, you pick up a golf club so tell me first time you play what'd you shoot oh I, I'm not sure I could count that high <laughs> I, I don't well, you must have taken it to to it pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I, um, you know, it was interesting because I played tennis, I played soccer, and all the years of um, playing different sports and, and teaching, I found so many good golfers, the correlation between that they've played soccer in their youth or even as an adult. So I guess the hand-eye coordination, um, somehow that, that fits in with the golf and uh, I, I played actually I was I wanted to play at the college level um, but back then they only had division three schools and Florida only had rec teams for soccer so that was kind of my first sport of choice but then kind of fell into golf and that's my passion and has been lifelong since then. So Rhonda, was there an, an event or in a moment in time when you said to yourself you said to yourself you know what I'm actually pretty good at this. I might want to focus on golf. Yeah, there there was. Um, you know, in golf, you always want to set goal, goals, and that's what I always try to teach my students. You don't want to play against other people. You just want to set a goal, compete against yourself, because, you know, nobody, not everyone can go out and be a LPGA or PGA Tour player, and when we try to accomplish that, you just get frustrated. So, I actually had goals that I set as an amateur, and I accomplished all those goals, and I won a state championship and said, you know, I've done everything that I've done as an amateur, and now I love the game. I love to help people learn the game, and that's when I decided to turn professional, um, compete competitively, and um, get my Class A on the PGA and LPGA side. So going back to your time at Florida, Rhonda, with with so many – really good golf programs obviously you know throughout the state of florida and you know in the southeast right why florida why the university of florida i've always been a gator so um my family's been gators and so that was just the the first choice and it's a great school and it's been i've been it was a great experience and i'll look back at it and i still have friends to this day my teammates are still friends even the ones that i visit in china (laughs) (laughs) so when you're looking back at it, what what's your favorite memory from being a Lady Gator? Oh gosh, I you know we just the friendship, the lifelong friendship. So we always had a really good time together as a team. Um, I recently just just played again with um, a teammate in a pro am. She's still an amateur, and you know we sit back and laugh about all the crazy things we did as college students and. You know, the golfers on the back then, we weren't exactly the, the real studious 
you know, gung ho, we were kind of like, Hey, we just, we want to enjoy this. We want to enjoy college and we want to have a good time. So it was, it was just a great experience. We had more of a time. Um, our team was very close. So it, it was just the point of building lifelong friendships that are, are still there to date. And Rhonda, you've, you've had a lot of success in the game, particularly, you know, when you were younger there, you know, going through college and the things that you achieved in the state championship and all of those things. W- what made you decide to be a teaching professional as opposed to potentially turning pro? Um, I just, at, at my age, I, I waited quite some time. And so in that, unless you're young now and you're right out of college and you, you work really hard because the game is, is at a much higher level, I think now with um, the ability and the fitness and everything involved now on the tours that I knew that I, I really didn't have the opportunity to do that. So, I mean, my goal still is to play in, in some legends events and I still play competitively in our PGA and LPGA teaching professional tournaments. But I think at this point, it's just my passion for helping people learn the game and enjoy it. And Rhonda, for for our listeners who don't know what the Class A designation means, plus what it takes to be a Class A teaching professional, talk about what you had to do and what you had to go through to get that designation. Sure. It's uh, it's basically a college degree. So it's like anything else. If you're a, a doctor or lawyer, I mean, you, you can't just go out and say, hey, I'm a doctor. <laughs> I mean, so it, it's going through a tremendous amount of education and training and uh, real-life work experiences. So all that put together, and, and we still have to maintain ongoing education and um, and community service, and that's what's great about it. It's just something as a as a teaching professional that you can keep learning and that's what we do like next week when we go to the PGA show for the week we'll, we'll all get together you know thousands and thousands of professionals and it, it's more of a hey you know what are you doing at your club or or what did you teach here and how can we make it better so it's it's just a it's a great um, organization both and I feel very fortunate to be a part of PGA and LPGA I I know there's approximately Gosh, there's only a couple hundred of us that are dual members. So it's just been very interesting between the two, between the PGA and LPGA, and and learning how each organization operates differently, yet there's so many congruent um, things together that that you can learn from and, and the different people. And talk about the education part. What What is the ongoing education mm-hmm. piece? Um, you know, we have – we have coaching summits. We have um, just marketing classes. We have, you know, the the main thing now that's big in the PGA and LPGA is diversity and inclusion. So we have speakers that, you know, we're we're really trying to open up the golf world to to everyone. And that's always been my goal is for every person, regardless of um, age, race, income level to be able to play golf and enjoy it because, um, as you probably know, the, the biggest two, um, reasons why people don't play golf is financial and time. So I, I think that's important that we, we open up those areas of diversity and inclusion so that everyone can learn and enjoy the sport. And Rhonda, when, when you're working with younger players, I'm really curious to get mm-hmm. your thoughts. How do you keep young players interested in coming back to, to practice and play versus, you know, what so many kids do is sit at home and play video games? 
Well, we we make it fun. So uh, kind of our 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 quote at our golf course is make golf fun again, and that's a friend of mine, Locke Kyle. He has uh, trademarked that, believe it or not. And that's what we try to do. We 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 make things to where all of our clinics and camps and and all of our programs, even with our girls' golf program, are not for profit. That we have events all throughout the area. Kids are learning, but they don't know they're learning. So it's almost like you said, like a video game, but it's real life. They're they're playing golf. So we'll we'll make it fun with games like golf baseball and tic tac toe putting and and billiards putting and. And just all different things to where they're they're thinking, you know what, this is kind of cool. This is fun. This is this is not like mom and dad are making me do this. So uh-huh. I, I think that's the key that you've got to make it fun for the kids. And and you do a lot of work with with tournaments. As I mentioned in your intro, you're tournament director mm-hmm. for Northern Florida Girls Golf. When when you're talking to girls and you're teaching girls and, and and girls playing in these tournaments, how do you how do you help them handle tournament pressure for the first time? Well, my theory, whether it, it's young young children or adults, um, I think the main thing for pressure is that golf is fun, um, enjoy it. It's a sport, and go out and hit one shot at a time. And that's the key. When you stand on the first tee, you just want to hit one shot. And you're going to have a bad hole. You're going to have a bad shot. It doesn't matter who you are, every single person that plays the sport that happens. So, you know, perfect example. The other day I, I was playing in an event and finished the round. And the group I was playing with said, hey, you know, nice round. I'm like, oh, wow, what did I shoot? I, I don't know. Because I, I hit one shot at a time, and then you add it up at the end because, to be honest, it's, it is what it is, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't take it back. So the more we stay in the moment and the more we enjoy the moment and just play one shot at a time, and, that, and that's to everyone. I'm like, you know what? Go out there. Have fun. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Hit one shot at a time and then add it up in the end, and it is what it is. <laughs> so to that point, right, and that's, and that's a great thought. You know, because to what you said earlier, we all have a bad hole. We all have a bad shot. You know, for kids that, that may not have the you know the patience or they get down on themselves, how do you teach them to put the the bad swing or the bad hole behind themselves so that it doesn't end up being a string of bad holes? Well, I I think a lot of it has to do with different levels. I mean, I, I have I teach different I teach different levels. So when you're working with kids that are just beginners or or slightly in an intermediate that aren't at that tournament level yet, you, you just want to keep promoting that it's fun, it happens, and then, you know, maybe I'll hit a couple shots purposely where I'm like, oh, look, I just hit it in the water. And then they're like, well, okay, if she can do that, then I don't feel so bad. And then when you get to the tournament level, I think the most important thing is that the, the parents, I've seen it too many times, is don't put too much pressure on your children, especially when they're young, because they're end up, they'll end up not enjoying the sport. So I, I think the key still is just don't let things bother you. Go out and have a good time. All you got to do is focus on the few seconds that you have to execute the shot. Just go out there, do your best, have fun, and then at the end of the day, you know what? It's just a game. That's what it is for the kids, and that's what I try to tell them. I mean, and even the parents, I'm like, you know what? I've had to have many talks with them. I'm like, I, your child is not going to enjoy this game if you keep saying, why did you do that? Why did you hit a bad shot? 
I mean, they're kids. You got to let them be kids. And I think that's the most important thing. Rhonda, on the on the lady side, what what are what are some of the mm-hmm. things that you're either doing or you're involved with that try to help bring more women into the game of golf? Um, you know, on some of the committees in our section level that I'm involved with, that's they're really working hard. And and you know, I give the PGA credit now. They they understand that you know this is this is important that we're losing a lot of golfers. We're not getting more golfers, so we need to really focus on women. And for me, what I've always done is that I want to put myself out there so I compete in all of our events. And as you know, talking to people and another PGA professional that, you know, a lot of these guys still play in tour events, whether it's on the Champions or PGA Tour, and and I'm competing against these guys. I'm not playing the same tees, but I'm out there, and, and I want to show all these women that, hey, just get out there and do it. You know, you can do it. You can play. Don't be intimidated. And I think that's always been a big factor is that, that women are intimidated. So I, I try to do a lot of things. We just had a boot camp on Saturday for women. We had a full day of, hey, we're going to get out there. It's freezing out, but we're going to have fun and we're going to do drills. And, and most of them are beginners. And we just we want to make it not intimidating. We want to just have fun drills that they can do as partners. And I think that's important, too, is to um, – a lot of ladies like to partner up. They don't want to feel intimidated. They don't want to feel like it's real competitive when they're starting. And, you know, you do obviously have some ladies that are very competitive. I mean, obviously, I'm competitive. A lot of my friends are. But when they're starting out, I think that's important that a lot of these ladies, they just want to get out there and feel comfortable. And that's that's the key is just being comfortable and starting from the beginning with, like, our Get Golf Ready for Ladies classes you know, it's strictly for ladies so that they don't have to be intimidated by anybody. And, um, you know, because a lot of them say, well, this is a stupid question. You know, what is a shaft? What is a grip? Well, it's not a stupid question. But, you know, around some of the men, they might think, well, gosh, they just think I'm a dummy. <laughs> and so I think it's important just to comfort level. Rhonda, you're also the owner and general manager of Riverbend Golf Links there in Jacksonville. Talk about your golf course. Um, you know, it's a great place. It's a public course. It's been around since 1950, and um, it, it's a almost like a Donald Ross. It's small greens, and it's just um, very casual. Our kind of our our kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? that we our creed is that no dress code, no tea times, just come have fun. So once again, it's back to that, hey, make it fun, make it casual. You know, just you don't have to worry about what you're wearing. Just come have a good time. Um, the previous owners didn't really do a lot. I just took over in May. So they didn't have leagues. They didn't have events. Um, they just had three play days. There was no pro shop per se. So we've made uh, quite a few changes in the past seven months just to make it more enticing and um, in the area. It's just a small small town outside of um, Jacksonville, and it's mainly retirees, um, a lot of snowbirds, uh, except for right now where it's almost snowing here. So <laughs> it's, it's not been conducive to play. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a neat little course, neat little public course. 
So it, it is. That's, that's a very interesting approach, right? The, particularly the no dress code, right? That's not something that you, you typically see at, at golf courses, you know, public or not. So uh, curious to get, you know, how has that gone over? How how is you know, if you look back and you said you've you know been there less than a year, but if you look at the, you know play historically versus the changes you have made, what what's been the impact on the amount of play you've gotten? Well, I think we've uh, dramatically increased the play um, just through word of mouth because we do uh, we consider ourselves very family friendly. So I think that's been um, beneficial that you want to be able to bring your kids out and not have to worry if you know their their shirts tucked in or they're wearing the right thing. And we just want them to come out and enjoy the game. So it's been very beneficial. And you know, one of the first things that they've always had kind of that attitude. And when I first took over, that was the first thing everyone says, are you going to change all these all these things? And I said, you know, I, I'm not. I'm hoping I can make it better for everyone, the experience, because that's what it's about is just having a great experience while you're here. And so the main thing is getting uh, engaging the members. So I've delegated. Um, we have a ladies golf association now. They never had that. We've had uh, many leagues, and I, I've kind of delegated the people that wanted to be involved and let them run with it, and that's been great for the course. Saranda, so before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they follow you? How can they follow the golf course and, the, and all the things that you're doing, whether it's online or over social media? Um, sure. Uh, Facebook, we're Riverbend Golf Links and Rhonda Ferguson Golf. And also our website, it's riverbendgolflinks.org and rondafergusongolf.com. And um, my information's on there. I'm always available to answer questions and um, just want people to love and enjoy the game just like I do. That's fantastic. Rhonda, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come on the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. I had a lot of fun with you tonight. Thanks, Chris. No, I very much enjoy it. I've heard a lot of great things about you, and I appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate that, too. Rhonda, take care. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Right. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. Take care, Rhonda. Thanks. That is Rhonda Ferguson, and again, you know, you look 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 her up online, Riverbend Golf Links. It's there in Jacksonville, Florida. It looks like a nice track. I've checked it out online. It really looks like they've done some great things there, and the idea that they're going more casual, no tee times, no dress code, just come have fun. Can't can't get any better than that. All right, folks, before we close up shop, you know how we like to always remind you about, you know, our friend and PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear those words from Jim. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating 
listening, or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, they continue to do great things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and how you can get involved, get involved go online to smga.org. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks back to Mr. Bobby Nichols and Rhonda Ferguson for joining me tonight. And I hope you all enjoyed the show. If you did half as much as I did, then I think we're doing something. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback right on there. Plus, if you have a question for one of our future guests, let me know, and I'll be glad to get it on the show for you. You can go on our website, nextonthetea.net, to see who some of our future guests are going to be. You can see our guest schedule right on there. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe LaGianusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. That show, like this one, is also available as a free podcast over on Podbean. Can't thank our great friends over on Podbean enough. You can download their Podbean app and you can stream both shows there. So you can take us with you everywhere you go. You can also find us over on iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories, plus their insights into what's going on around today's game as well. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com, and again, this show at NextOnTheT.net. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate you very much. Until next week. Hit him straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people Sharing those stories with you It's all about the great game of golf It's all about the great game of golf